sit and think about the resurrection. I asked Elaine the other night, we were just sitting and was watching uh, one of the TV evangelists, and, and I asked her, I said, what do you think about the resurrection? And um, we just started talking about it, and because the thing is, we like to see it. And uh, what is it that you really think the resurrection means to us? And oftentimes, people know about his death. They know about his resurrection. But what does that mean to us? How does it affect us? Does it really affect our lives? You and I have to come to that place to understand that everything basically we have comes through the atonement of Christ. And without the resurrection, the atonement would mean nothing. Christ would have just went to a cross and died like many others who died on a cross. Christ was not the only one who died on a cross. Evidence of that were the other two who died with him. But that was one of the ways of punishment for the Romans that they would use this cross. And if you look up the cross, you'll find it in many different shapes and forms and so forth. The real issue is that he died. And he died for our sin. Doesn't matter if he's on a straight post or if he was on a cross, or if he was on an X. He died. And he died for your sin and my sin. And he arose. And that's one of the problems that we have today, that many people do not believe that Jesus Christ is really living. And in many people's mind. Jesus was only the man. And this was taught early. That Jesus was only man, but the Christ was the Spirit. Christ was the anointed one. And Jesus was just the man. We have to come to a place to understand... It was Jesus Christ who came and died on our behalf, went into a tomb, and after three days came forth from that tomb. And Paul brings this to remembrance to those who he have already shared Christ with. Because we are a people who quickly forget we forget the importance of the death and the resurrection of Christ. And we just run around every day doing our everyday thing, sometimes not giving that one bit of thought of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And what he is doing for us. Because he lives forevermore. It's not about just what he has done, but it's about what he is doing because of the resurrection. How does it benefit us? And that's what we want to look at some today. 
How does this resurrection benefit us? How is the resurrection a blessing to us? How does the resurrection somehow affect our everyday life? We say, well, this happened over 2,000 years ago. Well, it did. But does it have an effect upon you? How many of you bought a life insurance policy 30 years ago, 40 years ago? Has really no effect right now, but if something was to happen to you, it would have an effect upon your loved ones. In the same way here. He died, and he rose on the third day. And the effects of that is still taking place today. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul does this, and he does it in the form of reminding. He says, number one, Now, brethren, I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel. For many people will put the gospel just in the form of death and burial. I put the gospel in this form. You cannot have death without life. So it's talking about his life, his death, and his resurrection. You can never have death without what? Life. So it's understood that it's life. So the gospel is talking about the life of Jesus Christ. That's why we have what is called the four gospels. Because what are they explaining? The life of Christ. They're explaining the totality of his life. And we are to learn of the totality of his life. And he says, I want to remind you because Paul understood. Though you have been taught, sometimes we need to go back and do what? Be retaught. And retaught again. And again. Isn't it nice to have read the book of John? But when's the last time you read the book of John? Isn't it nice that you read through the Bible once in your life? But when's the last time you've done it? It's something that you repeat over and over and over and over and over again. And he says, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Now he said, you acted upon it. You received it. You accepted it. You brought it near to you. But if you received it and you accepted it, why do I have to remind you about it? Why do you have to be reminded about it? If you received the gospel, you received the word of God, why do you got to be reminded? Because Paul knows we'll get busy with life, we'll get on our little thread mill of life and off we go running and we've forgotten everything that we've learned. And he said, I just want to bring it back to your remembrance. I want to bring it back to your remembrance. And he goes on and he says, by this gospel you are saved. People have to be reminded of that. That of this gospel you are saved. There's no other gospel in which you can be saved by. There's no other name in which you can be saved by. There's no other work that you can be saved by than the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For in John 19, when he hung on the cross, and when, he, when all was done, he said to the Father, It is finished. What's finished? The work of salvation is now finished. The work of forgiveness of sin is now finished. 
But the work was just beginning also. The continuing work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we go through this, I want to remind you this. If you believe that he is dead and he was just a man, then none of this will apply to you. It will have no meaning to you. But if you are one who said that I believe in the resurrected Christ, then it becomes upon you and I to act upon these things and to believe them. So when I'm done, we're going to give you an opportunity to act upon your faith. To come forth and state your request and you're going to be anointed and two are going to agree with you. I don't care if it's finances. I don't care if it's health. I don't care if it's position. I don't care if it's about children. I don't care what it's about. That you act on your faith and you bring it to the Lord. And two people are going to be praying with you and agreeing with you. And we're going to trust God. God is alive and he wants to act in our lives. Thing is, oftentimes we don't step out in faith believing that he will, what? Act in our lives. If you say there is no resurrection, and Paul brings that up, that there are some who say there is no resurrection. And if there is no resurrection, then Christ is not raised. Not even Christ himself. And you and I have to come to that place and we have to accept that. That Christ himself is not raised. He says in verse 13, if there is no resurrection, then Christ himself is not raised. Christ himself is not raised. If Christ is not raised, where does that leave you and I? There's no use of you and I looking forward to a resurrected day. There's no use of you and I talking about absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. There's no use of you and I talking about Christ coming back. If he is not raised from the dead. Now it's strange because see, when he was raised, he was seen by many. By James, the apostles, and five others. He was seen. Now, we have to conclude, either they're all lying to us, and we've been lied to all down through the ages, or the resurrection is true. Which one? Which one? Which one do you choose to believe? Is it a myth that you've been lied to? Or is it reality that Christ is alive? This is the surprising part about God's people. We say that he is alive, but we expect nothing from him. That's like a woman saying, I'm married, but I don't expect anything from my husband. I got to get out here and get it all on my own. I'm married, but he's not going to do a thing for me. I'm married, and we forget the husband is the what? The covering. The husband is the provider. God is my covering. Christ is my covering. Christ is my provider. 
I am his bride. And he will provide for me. But if Christ be not raised, our preaching is useless. Our witnessing is useless. And we are telling other people a myth or a lie if Christ be not raised. Paul repeats this again in verses 16 and 19 of what he basically states from verse 12 down. But in verse 16 through 19, he summarizes it a little bit different. He says, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Because we believe in something that does not exist. We're sharing something that is not real. The most important evidence that you and I have in demonstrating God's power is our own personal life. For Paul says, you are my written epistles. If people cannot see the reality of a change in your life, then God really don't exist in your life. If they cannot see a difference in you, because, see, you are the one who have heard the word. And faith cometh by what? Hearing of the word. But you're hearing the word, but there's no change in your life. And if there's not a change in your life, you are really dead to Christ. Or Christ is dead to you. And he's not alive. But in verse 20, he leaves us with this very positive. After going through the negative, back to the positive. But he leaves us with this very positive thought in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ has indeed. After going through the things that if Christ is not risen. Then our preaching is in vain. Our witnessing is in vain. We have believed in a myth. Our faith is in vain. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing if he is not risen. So Paul comes right back in the affirmative, in the positive, in verse 20. And he simply says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Christ has been raised. Just follow through with me on these thoughts here real quick. So we're going to go through them very quickly. The resurrection states he is the Son of God in Romans 1, 3, and 4. He is declared the Son of God by the Holy Spirit through the resurrection. So in Romans 1, verse 3 and 4, it simply states... Regarding his son, 
who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. And we know that because that was what the promise was of God. That there would be always someone from his seed that would sit on the throne of David. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. Is declared with power to be the son of God. So when he was in front of Caiaphas and Caiaphas asked, tell us the truth. Are you the son of God? He said, as you have said. As you have said. He is the son of God. And the resurrection declares that he is the son of God. Study all the other religions that you want to study. You will not find another resurrection. You will not find another resurrection. Nor would you find another statement stating that anyone else is the Son of God. The Son of God. Because of his resurrection, he is our mediator. Do we need a mediator? Yes, we do. One who pleads our case. The one who shares our life with his father. The one who speaks on our behalf. The one who talks up for us in every situation. But in 1 Timothy 2.5, he says he's our mediator. In Hebrews 9.15, he says he's the mediator of a new covenant. We need a mediator. Someone to speak on my behalf. And even when you come to be anointed today and to state your request, that mediator is going to be speaking on your behalf. There's going to be two or three of us here gathered with you, agreeing with you in prayer, going up to the Lord, and he's going to mediate your faith with the Father. He's our mediator. He speaks on our behalf. And because of his resurrection, he is at the right hand of the Father. Just think about it. If there was no resurrection, where would he be? In a tomb somewhere. But because of the resurrection, he's at the right hand of the Father, daily pleading your call. Father, give them favor, O God, as they apply for this job. Father, give them favor as they do this work, O God, that they do it unto you. Father, give them your blessing at this time as they, as a family, work this thing out. Bless them, O God. Father, he's constantly... Because he's right there at the right hand, pleading our case. Why? Because he shed his blood for you. He purchased you. He bought you with his blood. Something you buy, do you protect it? Something that you buy and you treasure, do you take care of it? Something that you have spent your money on, do you put value on it? And because he has shared his precious blood for you and I, we are valuable. And he intercedes for us. And he ministers to us. Because of his resurrection, he is able to intercede. He's able to speak. 
on our behalf. If he was still in the tomb, he would not be able to speak on our behalf. He would not be able to bring one request that we make before the Father. But because of the resurrection and because he sits at the right hand of the Father, because he stands at the right hand of the Father, because when Stephen looked up and asked, he said he saw Jesus standing. So he's sitting and he's standing. Doing what? Interceding for us. Interceding for us. Speaking on our behalf. Father, watch him. They're not aware of that stop sign. Lord, keep them because it looked like they may be running through it and another car is coming. Lord, take care of them. Interceding for us. Ministering to us when we're not even aware that he's ministering. Interceding for us. And then, because of the resurrection, he will judge us. There's the judgment seat of Christ, and there's the white throne judgment. The bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ is just for the believers. And he's going to judge us for everything we've done from the day that we accepted him as Lord. He's going to judge us how we have lived for his glory. And how we have performed his work that he has given us to do. He's going to judge the believer at the bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. And oftentimes in our minds, we never think we're going to be held accountable for every word that comes out of our mouth. That we're not going to be held accountable how we treated so-and-so. Or we won't have to give an answer how we responded in a very nasty way to somebody. Or how we treated them. Or even how we may have forgotten him. Though I accepted him as my savior, I'm not mindful of him. He's going to judge me. He could not judge unless what? The resurrection took place. I would never have to worry about being judged by him if there was no resurrection. But because there is a resurrection, I ought to see him in the same light as I saw my parents when I went home and knew my parents knew I had done something that I shouldn't have done. There was a little fear in us. Because one day, I'm going to stand before him and give an account of this life. It's not going to be an issue if I want to. When you are summoned to court, it's not an issue if you want to. You are summoned to this court. And you will be judged. And you will be held accountable for every action that you have taken. Because of the resurrection, he is able to heal us. And Peter tells us that we are healed by his stripes. Same thing in Isaiah 53, that we are healed by his wounds, by his stripes. We have that healing in the atonement. And do we need his healing? Yes. 
Now, healing is not just physical healing. It's mental healing. It's healing from whatever hurt or pain that you may have experienced in life. God took all of that on the cross. Jesus bore all that pain that sometimes we want to blame other folks for. But we need to understand because he lives, he continues to take on my pain. He continues, in a sense, to heal me. He continues to do the work that only he is able to perform. If he was not living, he would not be able to do that. And some people don't like the word continue. Because the word continue is to say in a sense, he's constantly doing it over and over and over and over again. Let me share something with you in my own body. He's constantly healing this body. It's a continuous work in this body. It's a one-time act on the cross that enabled that work to continue on in this present day. And he says, we have it. And because of the the resurrection, he's coming back. In John 14, 28, he says he's coming back. John 14, 3, he says he's coming back. In Acts 1.11, the angel says, He shall return in like manner. He's coming back. If there was no resurrection, we would not look for a return of the Lord. But he says, everyone who has this in their mind, that one day they're going to see Jesus, that they purify themselves. That if there is a consciousness in you that says, Christ is returning, Christ is coming back, you will do something in your own life. You will purify yourself. Because no man knoweth what? The hour or what? The day. And he could come any hour, any day. And what the Christian doesn't want to get caught at is being in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing when he returns. Don't want to get caught in that. So that whole process falls down there. It's a purifying in that whole thing of really believing. He's coming back. But in order to believe that he's coming back, we first have to believe that he rose from the grave. Then the next thing is, because of the resurrection, Jesus says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That is a powerful statement in and of itself. Every knee, everybody, believer, unbeliever. Even Mohammed will have to bow. All the teachers of Buddha will have to bow. All the ones who teach any type of ism has to bow. Every 
knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. It's not a question, do you want to bow? You will bow. Not a question, if you want to confess it, you will confess it. You will state it. Even though you're on your way to hell, you're going to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you're going to have to state it. You won't be able to stand up there and say, well, I'm on my way to hell anyhow. I'm not going to say anything. No, you're going to say it. And you're going to know it. That he's Lord of all. But that can only be stated in the affirmative, in the positive, because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Period. And these are just some of the things. I think they're some of the most important ones for us. To be reminded of, because of his resurrection, that he intercedes for us. Because of his resurrection, we're going to stand before him and give an account of this life. Because of his resurrection, we too look for a resurrected life. And because of his resurrection, we look for his return. If the resurrection is not real, then we are a people who should be pitied. We are a people who are most miserable. But because it's real, and we know it's real, we are able to exercise faith and see him work. If he is dead, there's no use of us praying. There's no use of us meeting. There's no use of us coming together. If he is dead, we are a people without no hope. But because he is alive, we are a people with hope. Because he is alive, we can make our requests known unto him. Because he is alive, we can be a people of great expectation that he's going to work on our behalf. And because he is alive, I know that he's gone to prepare a place for me. And he one day will come back and receive me unto himself, that I will be with him forevermore. Therefore, my living for him right now is not in vain. I know in whom I believe. I know in whom I believe. I know in whom I am saved. For John in 5, 13 said, these things are written that you might what? Know them. How many of you really know that you're saved? 
How many really know if you were to leave out of this building and to die, you know where you're going? How many of you really know that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Don't let it get stuck right here. Get it down in here and then let it work its way out. That you're not ashamed of him as your Savior. Amen? If you're here today and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to give you that opportunity right now. Because if you're one who wants to come and be anointed, and let me share this now. And this is not God excluding people. Oftentimes in Christianity, we put a blessing over everybody. God blesses his people. God can be merciful to everybody, but his blessings are for his children. For his children. And what we do in the inheritance that we have and being able to come and ask God anything, that's of his children, those who are born again, because God wants to bless them. If you're unsaved, your beginning point is asking Christ to save you. Your beginning point is asking Christ to save you. Now I'm just going to pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner, Lord. And I'm in need of your righteousness. I'm in need of you saving me. And I ask, oh God, that you come into my life and save me. Forgive me of my sins and wash me in your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that simple prayer. Your life just begins anew. Your life just begins anew. Now it comes the process of learning about Jesus. But now you are able to come. Now you're able to come with expectation of God working in your life. Oh, he's been working, but he's the one that has to draw you. But now the inheritance to bless you, he wants to shower you with his blessing. He wants to shower you with the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to bless you. Father, we just thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you, Lord, for anyone who may have prayed that prayer. May you work in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you let me know? I'm going to ask the ushers to come because we want to get the offering. Because we just want to spend time praying for you and anointing you as you will come. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the privilege of giving back to you a portion of that which you blessed us with. 
May you take our offering and multiply it and use it to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. the men to come. Let me share with you. We're going to pray with you and if you want us to anoint you, we're going to anoint you as you come. But I want you to come with a great expectation of what God wants to do in your life. And whatever you have need of, give it to him. Ask him. We have no magic portions. We have no trickery. We, this is not being slain in the spirit. This, you don't have to fall out. We, we want you to be very conscious as you and God work together. But what I want you to do is you come, come in faith believing God's going to answer what you ask. The scripture where it says, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he's in the mess. And if two of you agree upon anything, he'll do it. These two men are going to agree with you, who pray with you, who anoint you. Now it's your faith that has to step out is your faith. Don't want to pull you out your seats. But this is a time which you can practice in exercising your faith. God, here's my request. And give it to him. If it's an unspoken request, just let the men know it's unspoken. And they'll pray. All we ask is that you come in faith Believing God for his utmost. And the surgery you're going to have, I have my surgery this Thursday. Be praying for me. I'm going to have the men anoint me. I'm just going to trust God and believe that he's going to guide that surgeon's hand. If it's finances, if it's a job, if it's children, if it's just trouble in the heart and mind, whatever it is, we want you to come and trust God. And believe God. Amen? Would you just start coming? You can go to either side. 
either side, and men will just pray for you.